0: prayer so luke chapter 11 it begins in fact let's let's read through the whole we're going to start at verse 1 of luke chapter 11 we're going to read through verse 13 and put it in the whole conversation that jesus has here so first uh one of chapter 11 now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray as john also taught his disciples so he said to them when you pray say Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have Nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. who ask him. Let's have a word of prayer, our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning. We ask, Lord, for encouragement, teaching and guidance. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been with Jesus in the school of prayer, teaching us how to pray, what it is to pray. And we've talked about here that Uh, about why to pray and, and, and how to pray. And in the first few verses here, Jesus gives us that pattern of how to pray. And so we talked about that pattern and we built it around four questions as we went through, as we saw what Jesus was structuring this prayer to be like so that we know how we can build and structure our prayers the way Jesus did those And so we consider these four questions, one when we begin as Jesus does with our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's about focusing our attention on God. So as we sit with the word of God open, as we ponder what he shows us of himself, we ask ourselves, who is God? And then that, of course, as we see who God is, that takes us to the next question, which is now that I have seen who God is, how do I respond? That is your kingdom come your will be done. Having seen who God is, how do I need to align my life, change my thinking to see who God is and express that in prayer to God? Following that, we then express our need. We, ha- we pour out our request. What do I need to pray for? Or that daily bread uh, situation there. What do I need today? What are the needs of those around me and seeking god in those things and then leading that to the very end which is perhaps the most important part of that the last question so where do i go from here or essentially so that that is i'm praying this so that why am i praying all of these things why have i gone through all this what is the intended purpose praying those We also put it in a little bit different form, which many of you may be familiar with, and we reminded ourselves of that uh, last week, was that Acts thing, which basically covers the same things, but just gives them different titles. We begin with Adoration, Who is God, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And so we ventured through each of those statements, looking at what Jesus meant by those and what he intended for us of those. Now, as Jesus has given us this instruction on how to pray, so not what to pray for, the content is open. So we're to pray for anything and everything the Bible tells us. So not what to pray for, but how to pray. So we take all of that, that what we need to pray for, and we put it into the structure and the pattern which God has given us, and we're in the right place. But now Jesus takes us a little further here. And he takes us into our motives of prayer. And he takes us into our beliefs about prayer. The last few verses from verse 8, or really from verse 5 through the end is our text this morning. And he begins by giving us this parable to begin with in verse 5 to 8. Now, we've been talking with with others before church about how perfectly Jesus tells stories. And this is one of those perfect stories. You can can see it in your mind, can't you, as, as you read through this. Which of you uh, shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? Now, depending on where you, you read and where they were at, could depend whether this was a normal thing or not. It was normal for them to travel at night if they were traveling through the wilderness because it was hot. And so it wouldn't be unusual for a friend to turn up on your doorstep at midnight because they'd been traveling. Now, if you were in a city, it was unusual for that to happen. But either way, what we have here is somebody turns up on his friend's doorstep in the middle of the night and wants food. Now, if it was me, the first thing I would be saying is, if I let him in the door, is just go to sleep. You can eat in the morning. But no, it was very, very important hospitality for them that they make sure that they have food when they got there. And so that's part of what this is. He was under the requirements kind of of the law and of the society that his friends had come he needs to be hospitable and give them this but it's midnight they don't have stashes of food in their house and the the 7-eleven isn't open so he's got to find it somewhere so he goes next door it's midnight they have a small house; it's one room everybody gathers in the middle and they all sleep together in the one room the friend comes next door. The door is locked, and it's usually fairly hard to get that door open once it's locked at night. He starts knocking on the door. Friend! Friend! I need food! His friend gets up, and if it's me, he's got a bat. And he comes out and he says, What do you want? I need food. Go away. My family's sleeping. You wake him up. Friend! Friend, I need food! Just play loaf. Go away. I'm sleeping. You're gonna wake up the kids. Stop. And he just keeps going, Fred, I need food. And he keeps going until finally he figures it's easier for me just to give him the food than to have him keep yelling at my door. So he gives him the food. And this is the story Jesus gives us to illustrate to us something really important about prayer. And we're going to go through this and, and look at this. And we're going to look gain, I think, three lessons this morning from this parable about prayer. And the first is that we need to pray with persistence. Secondly, pray with intensity, and thirdly, pray with faith. So let's start at the beginning here with pray with persistence. You know, as the people of God, as children of God, prayer defines us. It is who we are. We've seen that already. In fact, in the last few verses of Luke 10 and 11, we have seen everything that defines us as the people of God. Love for God, a passion for God's word, and prayer. They are the three defining characteristics of what it is to be a child of God. Most Christians can tell you how important prayer is. You don't have to be a Christian for very long to gain that information or gain that that understanding. Most of us will tell you it's important. Prayer is an essential of the Christian life. In Colossians chapter 4 it says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. It is an essential part of who we are as the people of God. It is also an essential part of who we are as a church. Prayer is an essential part of church life also. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus says, Then he taught, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. So the gathering of God's people is defined by prayer as much as our individual lives are defined by prayer. It is one of the defining characteristics of who we are love of god love of others a devotion to his word and prayer now as we've seen from verse one it doesn't just come naturally we assume that a lot of people assume that when you get saved this idea of prayer comes naturally but this whole passage as well as the one in mark chapter six begins by people asking jesus how do i pray and so Jesus teaches us, which shows us one thing is that we often assume too much that people will know how to pray. And so that's why we've, we've gone through in learning this. We think, well, why do we need to learn how to pray? Doesn't the Spirit help us to pray? Isn't that part of his job? And, and isn't it just talking to God? Well, yes, indeed, the Spirit does help us to pray. And, and yes, it is basically just talking to God. But there's also a lot of other things that come into play. Sin nature, my own inbuilt selfishness, shapes the way I pray. And if I don't learn to deal with that, then my prayer is going to start being shaped by my own inward selfishness. Uh, My immaturity as a Christian, my lack of understanding of who God is. See, so as I grow in my understanding of God, so my prayer life is going to grow as well. We don't always all know how to pray at all times in all ways. And then eventually prayer becomes focused on us and not on God. And that's a problem. Prayer, as we know, is, is dependent. It is fundamental. Prayer is fundamental, but it's also dependent. See, prayer is, at its heart, an admission that I need God. That's what prayer is. Fundamentally, it is saying to God, I need you. It is a dependent thing, an admission to God. It's fundamental because we fundamentally need God. Prayer is commanded. It is fundamental, not just because we need God, but because God says, pray. And he doesn't just suggest it. Or, oh, In fact, all through the passage we have here, the words when he uses says to pray are in the form of a command. Everywhere you read in prayer, in Scripture, it is in the form of... Of a command, it's not an optional extra, it's not just a minor part of the Christian life, it is an essential. When you look at the way the Bible speaks of prayer, just briefly, when in, in the text we have here, in Luke verse two, 11 verse 2, Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, he says, when you pray. He's putting that on us, that we will pray. We read just a moment ago, First Thessalonians 5, and the command is, pray without ceasing. It's to be a part of our life. In Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul gives out the the great armour of God and what it means to us and how he ends with these words in verse 18, Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. There is then, with these three thoughts in mind, that prayer is fundamental, that prayer is... Uh, dependent and that prayer is indeed a command there is then the real implication here and the real truth here that to not pray is to sin it is who we are it is a command prayer is important prayer is not only the thing that defines us or one of the things that defines us but prayer is god's means god is sovereign I'm often asked, and maybe you've thought this, maybe you've heard this before. It often comes up about prayer and asks, well, if God is sovereign and He controls everything and He does anything, then why is prayer necessary? Because He's going to do it. He knows what I think before I I ask, so He doesn't need me to ask Him about it. He doesn't need me to say it, and He knows what I need and He promises to give me what I need. So if God is sovereign, why pray? Why do we need to pray? Well, yes, God is sovereign. In fact, that's one of the great things that forms part of our prayer, is praising God because of his sovereignty. That's how this prayer begins. Our Father in heaven is a statement of God's great sovereignty. But the belief in sovereignty is one of the great reasons that prayer works, that God is in control. Could God bring about his purpose without our prayer? Well, of course, yes, he can. Does he need us to pray to know our needs? Well, no, he doesn't. But prayer is about more than getting things done, isn't it? That's one of the major things we've been seeing along the way is is this talk about seeking God's face in prayer before we seek his hand in prayer. See, prayer is about more than just getting things done, more than having God do something. The idea that prayer is futile because God is sovereign is to completely misunderstand prayer and what prayer is for and why he gives it to us. That thinking is born out of prayer that seeks God's hand before his face. Now, when we seek God's face, that is when we seek to know God first before we start asking him to do stuff, when we start to seek his face before his hand, the relationship of prayer and sovereignty makes sense. When we start to look for God first, before we look for what God can do, then it starts to make sense about why God asks us to pray. You see, what Jesus says through this whole thing is that he calls us to pray. God is the one who calls us to pray. So no matter what you think, no matter what you think of whether the sovereignty of God makes prayer futile or not, the reality is God has said, pray. He has called us to pray. To not pray, then, of course, is sin, as I said. So prayer has, has two sides. It has two sides, and this is kind of how prayer works. And then we see this here. The first side is God's side. Now, God initiates prayer by invitation. So all through Scripture, we're told and we're shown, Old Testament, New Testament alike, all the way through, God says, come to me in prayer. So he has initiated that by saying, I am calling you to come to me, pray. So prayer is simply accepting God's invitation to come to him. He's initiated it. He motivates us to pray. He aids us in our prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 indicate that he gives the Holy Spirit who will motivate us to pray and who intercedes in our prayers. But then there's the other side. So firstly, God calls us to pray, so he initiates the prayer. The second side then is our side, and that is now that God has initiated that he's called us to pray, it's now our side, which is to respond in prayer. That's how it ought to work. God calls, we respond. He's invited us to pray, so we pray. And then it flips back now, and now it's God. God invites us to pray. We respond to pray, and then... God acts on the prayer. That's how you see it all the way through Scripture. God invites, we respond, God acts. God uses prayer. God decrees His will. He says, this is what I want done. This is what needs to be done. He decrees his will. Then he reveals it to his children. So we have it in the word of God, what God desires, what God wants. He has shown it to us. And having shown it to us, he calls us to pray. And we respond in prayer and then God accomplishes it. God uses prayer. We are assured and comforted by the truth that God is sovereign and that he will accomplish his purpose. So yes, God has decreed the end. That is true. God decrees the end from the beginning. And he knows what's going to happen in the middle of all that. But God has not just decreed the end. God also decreed the means to the end. That is, he said, this is the end. And this is how I'm going to get to the end. God decreed in eternity past that he would save some for his own glory. The means of saving some for his own glory, was the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he not only decreed the end, he also decreed how that would happen. God has decreed that he has a purpose he wants to accomplish. And one of the ways, one of the means in which he has decreed he is going to accomplish that purpose is prayer. See, so prayer is not an empty, meaningless thing. It's not just something God gives us just to do. Prayer is the way God has determined in his great sovereign glory that that is how he is going to get things done. I want this done, so I'm decreeing this is going to be one of the ways I get it done. Prayer. It's not powerless, it's not empty, it's not meaningless. It is eternally meaningful. It is the way in which God has determined, I will do my work. So, when we come to passages like this in Luke chapter 11, what Jesus is telling us here is keep praying. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Many read the parable and they wonder if God is like the second man here who seems cold and hard-hearted, and you have to keep pleading with him and arguing with him to get him to answer prayer, that he only answers because it becomes inconvenient for him. It's more convenient if he just answers than not to answer. The point isn't that God doesn't want to answer prayer. The point of the story is a contrast. If you will give in through persistence, just to get done, then God, who is perfect, is going to answer. If you will eventually answer, of course God is going to answer. If you will respond to persistence, even grudgingly, How much more will the perfect and glorious God respond to us? What about, though, how long it takes sometimes for God to respond? Those long delays seeming. Everything about this passage, everything about this story, everything about what Jesus says here, Jesus is telling us, don't stop praying. If you get anything out of this passage, that's it. Don't stop praying ever. See, waiting is part of his purpose. There is purpose in the delay. There is always purpose in his delay. His silence isn't ignoring us. His silence is his not answering our call at all. The waiting is the faith deepening. The waiting and the persistence is also a way in which God reveals our heart. As we wait, as we persist, it's revealing to us how deeply, how desperately do I want that? How much effort am I willing to go to to see that answer? So not only is it a matter of God deepening our faith, it is also one of the ways in which God reveals our own hearts in the waiting seeing what will come do we understand our need for god or will we try to work it out ourselves we get tired you know i've been praying for this for this long and god doesn't seem to be doing anything so i guess i'm going to have to do it myself we start making our own plans our own progresses on it do we give up easily do we get discouraged easily Jesus gives the same lesson a little later on in Luke, in chapter 18. He tells another parable and he begins the parable like this. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. There's a a story, you can read of it in the the biographies of of George Mueller. For the 60 years that he was, was saved... Before he died, he prayed uh, every day. The first 10 years, he says, his prayer life was basically empty until he learned how to pray as he ought. But he prayed every day for his friends. Two of those friends, they were, if I remember correctly, his friends' children. Prayed for them every day. Every day for 52 years, he said. When he died, they had still not accepted Christ as Saviour. Some months later both of them would have accepted Christ as Savior. He didn't see that answer to prayer. He prayed for 52 years for these two young men, who, well, by the time they were saved, weren't young anymore. But he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed every day. Waiting is part of his purpose. But you see, God will answer. Look at verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 10, as if you didn't get it in verse 9, he repeats it. again says, for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. You know, the reason the, this passage emphasizes keep praying is because the other emphasis of this passage is that God will answer prayer. This is what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is telling us, prayer works. When you pray the way God teaches us to pray, prayer works. So pray with persistence. Secondly, pray with intensity. Pray with intensity. In this, Uh, in intensity it means a number of things firstly pray with effort see to be persistent to be persistent in our prayers when it talks about being persistent or to to keep going in our, our prayer it's it means more than just repetition so it's more than just going to god every day and doing the same thing over and over again it's more than just how often you do it the persistence is not that you do it every day or that you do it constantly so it's not really about the repetition it's more than that there are a number of ways that, you know, the word in verse 8, which in, in uh, my version here, the New King James, and in the New American Standard version, it's translated persistence. In other translations, so the King James translates it as importunity. And that's a great word, and, and probably one of the better ways to do it, but it's a word we don't understand. We don't use it anymore, so it's, it's hard to grasp. But it's a good word which grasps it. Uh, the ESV I think uses impudence which kind of comes in the same way as importunity a great word which gives the real meaning of it but again we don't use it that much so we don't really grasp the understanding now I've said before the NIV isn't my favourite translation but here I think they got it right the NIV translates it shameless audacity and that is a great way to translate the word that's used here for persistence or importunity It's a good descriptive interpretation. I'll explain why that's such a good interpretation in just a moment. See, the key aspect it tells us about prayer is that it's not just about how often you ask. It has to do with the attitude in which you're asking, what you're doing with your asking. We need to pray with energy. James chapter 5 and verse 16. James talks about prayer there in that last portion of James chapter 5. But in that statement of of prayer, he says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word there, effective and fervent, well, they're the same word. Repeat there. It's an energeo, is the word. And it means hard, energetic work. So That's what it means. It's the, the hard, energetic prayer of a righteous person avails much. It is energetic. It is spirit-empowered prayer. True prayer takes effort. It takes effort. Your real prayer isn't satisfied with just a few pious sentences. I mean, sometimes prayer will be physically tiring. It will be emotionally exhausting. Prayer is difficult sometimes. The same word is used again in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. And it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently. Again, same word twice. Laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And there it's used in the sense that Epaphras stand between and he fights and he contends. Same thing. Energetic. Difficult, fighting, contending, wrestling. Prayer is energetic and it is passionate. It's these prayers that accomplish much, so don't give up. It's also, not only is it energetic, but it's prayed in expectation. It expects God to keep his promises we go to God like this, we know because we have looked at God and we have set ourselves to see the face of God, we know that God has made promises. We know that God has shown us who he is. And so we go to him in our prayer and our requests are made to him based on his character and on his promises. And we go saying, God, because you are, you will. See how many times you can read through the Psalms and find that very same pattern. God, you are so rescue me. God, you are so do this. That pattern over and over and over and over and over and over and over again through the Psalms. It's expectant. James, in, after that verse I said to you just before, the prayer of a, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He continues and he gives the example of Elijah in verse 18 of chapter 5. And he says, simply, he gives it fairly simply, he says, Elijah prayed, and the rain stopped, and he prayed again, and the rain came again. Now you can find the actual story of that in 1 Kings chapter 18. And what we find actually took place in there, because uh, you know, James is just giving us a quick overview to illustrate his point, but the depth of that is... Elijah was going to stop the rain because of judgment. So he goes, he leaves Ahab, he goes up onto the mountain and he prays. And he says to his servant, go see if there's any clouds coming. Servant comes back, no, no clouds. He does that seven times. Seven times. On the seventh time, the servant goes and he sees and he comes back and he says, Elijah, there is a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says to his servant, he says, you go tell Ahab what I've done what God has done why because he saw the size of a cloud the size of a man's hand but it didn't happen the first time for a man like Elijah seven times seven times he prayed for that persistent prayer is energetic and expectant we ought to pray with effort but we also need to pray with boldness pray with urgency urgency Noticed, I never really noticed this until I was looking through this and thinking through this this week in verse 9. Those three words ask, seek, and knock. You know, I've always just, just kind of blended them all together and never really took notice. And maybe you have, so you're probably brighter than I am. The growing intensity of those words ask, right? Ask. I don't seem to be getting an answer, so then what do I do, friend? Friend, can I have some bread? Friend, I can see you're in there. I'm looking through the window now. I can see you. Come on, I need bread. Friend, I can see you're in there. Bread! See the increasing intensity, Jesus says? Ask. Simple. You start. We're not getting it. Don't stop. You don't just keep quietly going. "Ah." Come on, God. This is who you are. This is what you've promised. God, where are you? You've said this. I can see you're doing something. Answer me. Same thing we see in the Psalms. God, answer my prayer. How many times have I asked you, God, answer my prayers, save me? See the growing intensity? We don't stop at asking. When we're not hearing at the asking, we start seeking for the answer. And when we're not finding the answer seeking, we start rapping on God's door. The intensity is increasing. Psalm 17, verse 6 I have called upon you, for you will hear me. O God, incline your ear to me, and hear my speech. Those are not calm words. Psalm 38, verse 16 For I said, Hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves over me. Or Psalm 55. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. You see the increasing intensity? Come on, God. So, this is where we get back to why I said that translation of persistence is good because we need to pray with annoying persistence. It says if we were to put that, uh, that word into an you know, easily uh, equatable word, it would be that. Pray with annoying persistence. That's why I like the translation of the NIV, which is shameless audacity. Because the word means shameless, insolent, audacious, bold. That's what that word persistence, or whatever you have there, means. So it's not just persistence. It's annoying persistence. It's the persistence of a friend at midnight who will not go away until he gets bread, and he does not care. He is shameless in his pursuit. He does not care if he wakes up your family, and he does not care if the neighbors are woken up. He does not care what people think of him. He needs food for his friends shameless audacity, annoying persistence. I'll just keep banging on the door until I get what I need. E.M. Bounds, who is famous for his works on prayer, says this of this word persistence. Perseverance. Perseverance is the pressing of our desires upon God with urgency and perseverance. The praying with that tenacity and tension which neither relaxes nor ceases until its plea is heard and its cause is won. Do not give up. So we pray with confidence. This is what Jesus is telling us. Don't give up. Don't stop because you didn't hear from me the first time you asked. Keep asking. Keep pursuing. Keep persisting hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 gives us the same thing it encourages us to come boldly to the throne of grace same idea come boldly not sheepishly sneaking up to god and 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 hoping he's going to hear me this this is the way that god calls us to pray to him with great boldness Sometimes we get the feeling, don't we, that if I go to God, I'm just bothering him. If God's busy. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got, he's got to deal with, with North Korea, and he's got to deal with, with Russia, and he's, he's got to deal with all these things. And you know, There's people who have bigger problems than I do. And if I go to him with just my, my problem, it's just really, in the big scheme of things, it's just little, I'm just bothering God. So I'll try a little, and if it doesn't, well, I don't want to annoy him because I don't want him to get angry at me he's got so much to do and my little issue God is not calling us here to approach him sheepishly he's not calling us here to kind of slink up there hoping that we don't annoy him and he gets angry at us angry at our request God is not annoyed by you ever God is never annoyed by seeking him ever he's told you to pray like this he's promised he will answer so we pray with character james reminds us that the character we pray with is with righteousness which is that is that we have been made right with god and humility so we pray with persistence we pray with intensity and finally and for your sake Shortly, we pray with faith. The last few verses of our text, Jesus gives a number of things, illustrations. Verse 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You know, it's interesting here, isn't it? Because we began this conversation or this story. Jesus began here with us by telling us to seek God as father. Isn't that how he told us to start our prayer? Our father who art in heaven. His conversation and his teaching here on prayer then brings us full circle and he brings us back around here and ends by teaching us to trust God as Father. We seek him as Father and trust him as Father. These few contrasts that Jesus gives in these last verses remind us of some important truths about God. Firstly, God is a truthful father he's not trying to trick us he's not saying pray like this he says look i'm telling you i'm telling you i will give you bread and then we go and we pray and we seek and we pray and we persist and then he tricks us and gives us something else he's not trying to trick us he's telling us the truth he has no hidden motive god has told us straight out what his motive is God's motive in answering prayer is essentially twofold. It is ultimately for his great glory in all of the world. And secondly, which will bring him glory, it is for the good of his children. Those are his motives. He's laid them out at the beginning. I want you to pray for two reasons. Pray for my glory and for your good. And I will answer for my glory and for your good. He's not trying to trick us. He's told us all that. He reminds us, you know, any half-decent earthly father, any father worth his weight in, in salt, wants what's best for his children. Right? That, that's true of any half-decent father. wants what's best for his children. And if that's true of us as fathers who are faulty and frail and selfish and often mistaken, if that's true of us, how much more true is it of the perfect father that he wants what's best for his children? God is a truthful Father. It also reminds us that God is a good Father. What He gives is good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. See, He says here that He gives the Holy Spirit. The Matthew version says He gives good gifts. essentially six to one half dozen to the other and what it means, because it's the same. Through the Holy Spirit, he gives us what we need. He fills us with all that is good. He gives us everything which we need for goodness, godliness, and righteousness. Psalm 84, verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Often, though, the goodness of God is in the withholding. He withholds what we ask for sometimes because our asking may be selfish or our asking may be short-sighted. James speaks of that also in James chapter 4. You ask and receive, not because you ask amiss to consume it on your own lusts. But he always gives what is good. God is a truthful father God is a good father. God is a faithful father. He teaches us how to pray and he teaches us what to pray for. He empowers us to pray through the Holy Spirit and he energizes us to pray through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit aids us in our prayers. He calls us to pray. he motivates us to pray and he promises that when we pray he will answer. He promises that. I read just a moment ago in James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. And the last words of that verse says, With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is faithful. You know, I've all I've said before, I love that phrase. There is no variation or shadow of turning. It's not just that there is no turning, but there's not even the hint of a turn. Not even the, the, the movement of a shadow which might suggest a turn. There is no change. He is faithful. The message this morning is simple keep on praying. Don't ever stop. Never give up. No listless. Aimless, selfish prayers. No weak prayers. No shy prayers. Pray boldly. When you go to prayer, wrestle with God. That's what we're told here. This we wrestle, persist and persist and persist until God answers. Because what He has promised us here is that He will answer. He promised he would. He is the one who has called us to pray. He will honour his promise. God will bring his purpose to pass. There is no doubt, there is no question about that, that he will bring his purpose to pass. And one of the great means with which he is going to do that is the prayer of you and I. That's how he has determined to accomplish his great purpose. That's how He has drawn us in meaningfully and eternally into His great plan. Pray with persistence. Pray with intensity. Pray with faith. What do you need? What do you desire? What have you been praying for? What are you seeking God for? What have you given up seeking for? Have you given up praying for it? God is hearing. He is working. So pray on. Keep praying. Do not give up. Wrestle. Persist. Persist annoyingly. Be bold. He will answer. We're going to close a little differently than we normally do. This week, we're not going to sing a song of closing. I'm going to ask that we spend just a few moments in prayer. Given the importance of what we've spoken of, that we need to pray, there are, I am without doubt certain, there are things on our mind that we're needing to pray for. I'm going to give us a few moments to quietly spend some time in prayer, and then I will close us in prayer after three or four minutes or so of, of time to pray. And then together we will close in prayer. Let's pray. Great, wonderful, heavenly Father. Hear the prayers of our heart today. Incline your ear. Hear us. And answer us. For you are him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To you be glory in this church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.